We're going to be uh, picking up again in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And let's look at this portion from Matthew 10, verse 21. Matthew 10, 21. So following along this theme of the chronological life of Jesus, Jesus says, Brother will betray brother to death and, ch- and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So he says, he says whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. So he doesn't say if they persecute you. He says, whenever they persecute you. And then he doesn't say, oh, they persecuted you. I am so sorry that happened. Just sit here and recover for a while. Chill out. Just go to the next. He speaks as if persecution can be a way of life. That people may hate us because of our testimony. That is part of life. That's the way he speaks of it. Then he says, <clears throat> verse 24, Disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, Proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy the soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered, so do not fear, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. So that was Matthew 10, 24 through 31. So what we see here is, is this whole portion, he says, look, you know, they called me Beelzebub. They called me the head of the demons. Be prepared because people are going to call you things too. And then he says, you're going to hear things and you need to proclaim them. So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about what what Charles Spurgeon calls, calls having a blind eye, one blind eye, and one deaf ear. And he speaks about this in a good way. It is a good thing to have one blind eye and one deaf ear. You say, well, what could he mean by that? And, and let's take a look at what this means, because this, this directly applies to what we're reading today. Directly applies. Because things will be said of us. Things will happen to us. And I want to uh, uh, look at this uh, Within, within the context of a particular set of verses. So let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. So right after Proverbs, you have this... this uh, so, so look right after Proverbs and you'll, you'll find Ecclesiastes. So Psalms, Proverbs, Psalms is sort of like in the middle of your Bible, and then after that is Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 21 and 22. Ecclesiastes seven twenty one and 22. Also do not take seriously all the words which are spoken, 
so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. So he says again, Do not take seriously all the words which are spoken, so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. You know, and, and in the footnote it'll say, Do not give your heart to all the words that are spoken of you. Do not give your heart to all the words that are spoken. Think about this for a minute. If we take to heart everything that is said about us, we'll have really miserable lives. The more public a figure you become, the more you move up in the world in corporate life and academic life, the more things people will be said about you, that people will say about you. Let me, let me put this in perspective. Um, President Obama has many, many things said about him. Some may be true. Many things are untrue. But when one is a public figure at that level, many people will say things, many hurtful things. Some things may be true. Some things may not be true. The higher you go up. So there's what people say about me, Jim Tour, is nothing in comparison to what they'll say about President Obama or Mitt Romney, because those men are very public figures. But what people will say about me is very different in level than what they will say about you, for example. So we have to have one blind eye and one deaf ear in this way, that we don't pay too much attention to it. Some students have come to me over the years when things have been written about me in the school newspaper and said, you've got to read this and you've got to write a letter to, to, uh, to deal with this to the newspaper. And I said, first of all, I have no intention of reading it because I don't read the thrasher. And, and, I, and I have no intention of, of contesting it. That I will not do. Because the more that I contest it, the more attention that I bring to it. And there's a lot of people with a lot of time on their hands. They have a lot of time to write things. And so if I pay attention to it, it actually draws much more attention to the matter. We need to learn to have one blind eye and one deaf ear. So Jesus said, if they've said these things about me, imagine what they've said about you. And then here in Ecclesiastes, he says, don't take... It seriously, don't take to heart all the words which are spoken at you, so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. Because if you listen too intently, you will indeed hear your servant cursing you. But the next verse says, For you have realized, for you realize that you likewise have many times cursed others. Who of us, who of us has not, not spoken ill of a friend? or a relative, in a time when we were in a, in a fit of rage? Who of us has not uttered a word, even if it be in private, against someone that we really respected, or someone that we really liked, when we were in a, in a fit of anger? All of us have done it. This is why the Scriptures continually cause us to look back at ourselves. 
This is what distinguishes us from the world. I am shocked sometimes when I hear people come with railing judgments about other people. I'm like, uh, don't you ever have those sort of problems in your own life? Have you not even a speck of that in your own life? And I've had people say, no, I, I've never done anything like that. I'm thinking, you've never really examined your own heart. We need to have one blind eye and one deaf ear. If I were to consider all the things that have been written on the internet about me and try to contest them and try to make a posting based on that, I'm telling you there's a lot of people out there on the internet that I would have to contend with. And those people have a lot of time on their hands. They just sit around all evening and just with things to do, of of typing on the internet. You need to have one blind eye and one deaf ear to many of these things, many of the things that, that come out. And remember, the more public you become, the more criticism, the more public criticism that you will get. And there's a feature about this, is that many times these things are harsh. But often, there is some level of truth to it. Often there is at least some level. Maybe it's 1%. What is it that I can learn from this? What is it that I can take home from this? What is it that's troubling these people? If it troubles them that I talk about Jesus, that I cannot change. Because my Lord tells me in this passage in Matthew 10 that I must speak up. But what is it that they may have written that might be true? There is a certain portion about this. Oftentimes things that are said, even if they are harsh, there's at least a percentage of it that is true. I'll tell you, one of the things that I've admired most is we, I had a, a, a man in the, who used to attend this class, and he was an older, older person. He was probably about my age, and he would listen. And he had this habit of critiquing me. And so when I'd get done, he'd, he'd uh, give me an analysis, and he'd point out a couple of good things, and he'd point out some of the things that I said that really weren't quite right or weren't quite consistent. And I'll tell you that when he first did this, I was a little taken back, and I was frustrated, but I learned to so appreciate that guy. Because so few people will speak into my life. Because they'll think, you know, he's this, he's that, and who am I to tell him? But this guy would speak into my life. And and I'll give you an example. One day I was talking about, I said, you know, the, the most godly men that I have ever met do such and such. And so I was trying to get the class to see that you know, this is a great thing. And he said to me afterward, he said, how do you know that they're the most godly men that you've ever met? How do you know that? Because they say they're the most godly? I mean, how do you make an assessment to weigh godliness in an individual and to say those were the most godly men and they all did this particular thing? And you know, he was absolutely right. You know, as I got to thinking about it, I thought, you know, you're right. And I really appreciated that guy. So he was, came to the class for about six months, and I became a better teacher as a result. I became better at it. So to resent critiquing hurts us as individuals. It is good to have critiquing, and not everything that's thrown at us is accurate and fair, but at least let us consider it. There are things that are going to be said where we need to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear. 
But there are other things where we need to listen. Maybe there's a portion of truth. And I see this. You know, so, sometimes a person will publish a paper and some scientist disagrees with that and they'll write a letter to the journal and the journal will publish that letter after they've sent the letter to the author and the author will rebut the letter. So, article written, somebody will come with a rebuttal to that article and then the authors of the article will rebut the letter that was written. And the, what, what happens very often is you see the rebuttal to the letter is very hard. Like, you know, it comes forth and it would be much better if the author just said, the author, the, 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 uh, this, this group has made some interesting points about our article. And we could have done a better job in this and this and this area. But as far as this point, we disagree, and here's the reason why. You see what I mean? There are pieces that are probably accurate. Let us learn from those pieces. Let us give credit that, hey, this critique was not all bad. And if you're going to be in a position of openness to learn, critiques must come. Consider the source sometimes. Consider the spirit in which it's coming forth. But is there something here that I can learn from? You know, professors have zero experience in training, zero training in teaching. So, professors have not been trained how to teach. And in the vast majority of cases, it absolutely shows that professors have had no training in teaching. They don't know how to look at an audience. They don't know how to write in a way that, 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 that the audience can, can get this. They don't know how to present something in a logical format very often. And so, as a result of that, when the university offers courses for faculty on being critiqued on teaching, so we go, it, that almost no faculty go. It'll generally be me, maybe one other faculty member, and then several instructors who are not, you know, official faculty members. All they, their job is solely to do teaching. They don't do research. But out of an entire campus, there might be only me and one other professor. And so what happens is we're told to go up and, and we present something, and they film us. And then they go through it. And they see, you see that, that silly habit you have of you keep scratching your nose? Does your nose really itch? Does it really itch? If not, stop scratching it. <laughs> that is good to hear because I don't want to go scratching my nose all the time when it doesn't itch. It is good to be critiqued. It is good to allow ourselves to be in a position to be critiqued. If you're an athlete, you know how good it is to have a good coach that can say, you know, you're doing this wrong. And they can really pick it out. Good coaching is just worth so much. My son used to be a kicker. He'd kick this ball. You know, just kick the ball through the, through the, the, the goalposts in high school. When I would send him to a professional kicking coach, it just made all the difference in the world. And it was expensive for a day personal training with a professional kicking coach. But the guy could just look at him, just, he would have, have Josiah kick about four times, and he'd say, your hip is just a little bit off, and your, your, your plant foot needs to be a half inch more to the left. And then Josiah would do it, and just boom, 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 it's just right down the middle of the uprights. How can somebody do that? Because he's a professional trainer. It makes a huge difference. 
we need to be critiqued. But not, but it's not just the professional trainer. Sometimes a friend can come along and say, you know, the, 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 what you said to this person probably wasn't quite right. And rather than to just get all angry, say, okay, teach me from this. There are other attacks where we need to have a blind eye and a deaf ear because there are things just absolutely thrown at us. The other day I was on the internet and, and uh, uh, I was Googling something and my name, there was something written about me. I thought, it's a, it, it, was, it, it was a silly title, um, uh, something like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but Why Gym Tours Ridiculous. And I thought, that's an interesting thing, so I clicked on it. And... and uh, so what was written was this person had read one of our articles and he clearly did not understand it. He clearly did not understand that azobenzenes rearranged differently than alkenes. And because of that, he was all thrown off. But what he did is he, he said, this was totally ridiculous and this is why. This is just like click here. And when you click there, there's a movie and so if you take a solution, so, so say you have a layer of, of, of uh, uh, a white solution, and gently on top of that you, pit, you pour a layer of a black solution. So you have a two-phase solution, white on the bottom, black on top, and you stir that. Now you turn on the stir, and it starts stirring. What happens? The solution turns gray, right? Now if you stir in the reverse direction, it doesn't separate into black and white again. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't go entropically backwards, right? Well, what this person did on this YouTube video is they say, now we will reverse the stirring. So all they did is they played the movie backwards, and you see it separate into two layers. So he was saying, this is how ridiculous Jim Tour is. But without saying any, there was, there was no separation. So in other words, that movie was associated with what I said. He clearly misunderstood, so it was so wrong. But it's not worth my time dealing with it, because obviously this guy, whoever, or this woman, whoever posted it, has a lot of time on their hands to worry about something like this. And so you just let it go. And you, you know, read a few of the quotes, wow, this is, he really believes that you could do that? And you, know, you, you see what I mean? You just turn a blind eye and a deaf ear. The more public you become, the more you will get. And you will see this sort of thing in your life. Um, to those who are really opposed to you, you know, once in a while we find people really don't like us. If you will try to be extra courteous to them, you may well win them over. You find a person that doesn't like you. Which usually we don't have to look very far. Someone who really gets irritated by you. Go the extra mile to try to win them over. One young lady said to me that her boss really didn't like her. She's always, you know, dumping on her. I said, what is your boss like? And she said, what do you mean? I said, what does she like? Does she drink coffee? She said, oh, yeah, she always comes in with a big cup of Starbucks in the morning. I said, you go bring her Starbucks in the morning. Just go bring it to her. She did that a few times, and her boss started inviting her out to lunch all the time and just really won her over. The Lord puts people in our lives because not everything that that person you know, sometimes it could be totally wrong, but there are slivers of truth that that person holds about us that maybe we need to work on. There's a bunch of things that we need to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to. But there are pieces, and can we even win them over? 
You know, sometimes Christians will think of us poorly. But again, why is it that they do? Is there a way that we could win, win them over? We would, you, you know, you may say, well, you know, I heard that person say something really unkind about me. Turn a blind eye and a deaf ear. Have you ever said anything unkind about a person? That if they had heard it, they'd have been really upset? Have you ever done that? Ever? I remember when I was taking a driving class when I was in, in high school. We took a defensive driving class. And, and the teacher said, don't get so upset when somebody forgets to, to, uh, when, when somebody forgets to signal before they turn. He said, let me ask you, have you ever turned without signaling? Ever? So who in the room could say, no, I've never done that? So we've all done that. So does it bother you that somebody in front of you should, without signaling, turn? Just remember, maybe that's the one time they did it. Maybe. You've done it once, too. You see what I mean? In the same way that we show mercy, we will receive mercy. So we'd like people to forget our moments of rage. So we need to be able to forget those and to even when we've heard someone speak ill of us, try to win them over. Try to win them over. Sometimes they will become your greatest advocates. If they have seen you change in response to things, you grow in response to things, sometimes they will become your greatest supporters because they say this this guy's teachable. He really came around. Learn how to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the things that are wrong and learn how to respond to the things that are right. I want to read you a portion from Charles Spurgeon where he talks about this directly. And I, I, I really think that, that he explains things far better than I could ever explain them. He says, In the case of false reports against yourself, for the most part, use the deaf ear. Unfortunately, liars are not extinct. And like Richard Baxter and John Bunyan, you may be accused of crimes which your soul abhors. Be not staggered thereby, for this trial has befallen the very best of men. And even your Lord did not escape the envenomed tongue of falsehood. In almost all cases, it is the wisest course to let such things die a natural death. A great lie, if unnoticed, is like a big fish out of water. It dashes and plunges and beats itself to death in a short time. To answer it is to supply it with its element and help it to live a longer life. Falsehoods usually carry their own reputation somewhere about them and sting themselves to death. Some lies especially have a peculiar smell which betrays their rottenness to every honest nose. If you are disturbed by them, the object of their invention is partly answered. But your silent endurance disappoints malice and gives you a partial victory, which God in his care you will soon turn into a complete deliverance. Your blameless life will be your best defense, and those who have seen it will not allow you to be condemned so readily as your slanderers expect. Abstain from fighting your own battles, and in nine cases out of ten, your accusers will gain nothing by their malevolence, but chagrin for themselves and contempt from others. To prosecute the slanderer is very seldom wise. 
I remember a beloved servant of Christ who in his youth was very sensitive and, being falsely accused, proceeded against the person at law. An apology was offered. It withdrew every iota of the charge and was most ample. But the good man insisted upon its being printed in the newspapers and the result result convinced him of his own unwisdom. Multitudes who would have otherwise never heard of the libel asked what it meant and made comments thereon, generally concluding that the sage remarked that he must have done something imprudent to provoke such an accusation. He was heard to say that so long as he lived, he would never resort to such a method again, for he felt that the public apology had done him more harm than the slander itself. Standing as we do in a position which makes, makes us choice targets for the devil and his allies, our best course is to defend our innocence by our silence and leave our reputation with God. Yet, there are exceptions to this general rule. When distinct, definite public charges are made against a man, he is bound to answer them and answer them in the clearest and most open manner. To decline all investigation is, in such a case, practically to plead guilty. And whatever may be done may be the mode of putting it the general public ordinarily regards a refusal to reply as a proof of guilt. Under mere worry and annoyance, it is by far the best to be altogether passive, but when the matter assumes more serious proportions, our accuser defies us to a defense, and we are bound to meet the charges with honest statements of fact. So let me give you an example. If someone, say we're, someone were to accuse me of an immoral relationship, I can't just keep quiet about that. I have to request could you show me some evidence? Please present the evidence. Where did you see this? Where was I? What was the time of day? Where did this happen? Bring the individual forward with whom it happened to to say this. Let's have some evidence. You see what I mean? That's a time when when I have to, in a civil manner, say where is the evidence and then contest the evidence. But nine times out of ten, just let it go. Turn to, uh, turn to the book of Psalms. So turn from Ecclesiastes back to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, verse 30, chapter 38. David, this same thing happened to David. And let's see how David responded. So here is David. And what we get in, in, in many of the Psalms is a glimpse at David's prayer life. You want to see why God called David a man after my own heart? Look at the man's prayer life. If we will get into these situations and but pray, we will see God's deliverance. But often we don't pray so we don't receive God's deliverance because we don't pray. Here some people had come against David. And so let's read uh, Psalm 38, um, verse 11. Psalm 38, verse 11. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand afar off. Those who seek my life lay snares for me, and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction, and they devise treachery all day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I am like a mute man who does not open his mouth. Yes, I am like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no arguments. So look what he says. The blind eye and the deaf ear. He says, I am not going to contest with them. I am not going to contest with them. This is godly wisdom. 
the vast majority of things that come against us, just let it go and actually try to win that person over. If you say, I heard that person say a bad thing about me, they're an enemy. Okay, then win them over. Win them over. Be extra courteous to them. Be extra gracious to them. Bring them Starbucks. Bring them something. Be extra nice to them. And see if you can turn them. Look what David says in verse 15. But I hope in you, O Lord, you will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, may they not rejoice over me, who, when my foot slips, would magnify themselves against me. Look what he says. He's crying out to God. He says, you, O Lord, answer me, for my hope is in God. If we would learn to draw close to God in these times, Father, you protect my reputation. And Father, from the places where my reputation needs correction, let me learn from this. But look at what David says. He says, my foot slips. Yes, I did slip in this. But they would magnify themselves over me. I made a little blunder. And now they're just blowing it way out of proportion. This happens all the time. All the time. Little blunder gets blown way out of proportion. It's like, would you just... You know, I did one little thing wrong and, and, and you act as if I'm a murderer. This happens all the time. David said it happens to me. But I'm like a deaf man and I'm not going to speak. I'm just going to go and spend time with my Lord. He says in verse 17, For I am ready to fall and my sorrow is continually before me. For I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and strong, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. And those who repay evil for good, they oppose me because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, do, do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. If we would but learn to cry out to God like this and say, God, help me. God would help us. God would help us. Learn to retreat and give that to the Lord. And remember, the message that we have, this message that, that Jesus spoke of in Mark chapter 10, this message of the proclamation of the truth, when we are speaking against people and their favorite little sins, when we come against and oppose people and their favorite little sins, things will be said about us. Things will be said. Because we speak the truth, we bear the truth. And as soon as we say that I follow Jesus and the Bible means something to me, this is a stench to some people. They'll talk about God, they'll talk about the force, but as soon as you reduce this to Jesus Christ and the Bible, it's like, oh, you're intolerant. You're, all of a sudden, they don't want Jesus Christ and the Bible. This is what we must bear forth. Words will be said about us, but turn a blind eye and a deaf ear. And and David doesn't say that I have no sin. He says, yeah, I've sinned. I've done wrong. But they've taken it and they've magnified it many times over. They will do this. The world will do this. I tell you this because I want you to be prepared. The world will do this. Things like this will happen to you. And the more you move up, the more public a figure you become. Some of you will become very high up in companies, very high up in in. in uh, orchestras or something. You will have high places. The higher up you go, the more these things will come. And I tell you, those who invest great time trying to just dispel this and dispel that, 
they have suspicions all over the place and they suspect this person, suspect that person. Their lives are just filled up with misery. Just let it go. Let it pass. And remember, just as he said in Ecclesiastes, don't listen too intently to what your servant might say or else you're going to hear him cursing you. Don't put too much emphasis, but just remember, you too have cursed others in your fits of anger. So even when people have cursed us out, just let it go. You know, you might be driving along and somebody you know, gives you the finger or says something to you. and you just, <sighs> just let it go. Just let it go. You too have gotten ang- angry and shaken your fist and given your finger at times to others. You too have done this. Just let it go. Let it go. Turn a blind eye. Turn a deaf ear. And you will have a much more pleasant life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it. Father, teach us to be like David, to become like a deaf man, and to not argue these things. Father, I pray for these young people that they will have learned something today that will have great value in their lives, both as Christians and as professionals, to let these things go, to, in cases like this, have a blind eye and a deaf ear, and just move on. Just move on. Father, I pray that they would also try to win over those who have so opposed them, who have said ill of them, that they would try to win them over. Father, let them see how you can do this in in life. And Father, I pray that you would so work in their lives to take hold of these truths and to do that. Father, keep them from, from coming in lawsuits against people to but just let them, let it go. Let it go. Father, I pray that they would learn to do this. Even as Jesus said, these attacks will come. Just move on to the next town. Just press on. Father, I pray that even as they, that they would look at them, their, their own lives rightly. Father, that they would examine themselves and see that they too have done this. Father, give them clear eyes to see their own lives. Father, let them move on, I pray. I pray for the grace of God to be upon them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.